Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by Max Newman and Steve McKenna. Max and Steve have proved themselves to be the two best long-course triathletes in Australia, and they went head-to-head on the weekend at Ironman Busselton, with Max ultimately getting the win and Steve coming second. Um, so we wanted to, to get together and chat about the race, go into the details on how it played out from um, both boys' perspectives, and talk about their training and, and preparation in the lead-up. Max, I'll, um, I'll go straight to you to start the conversation. Steve and uh, myself, we were doing a weekly podcast uh, over on the How They Train Patreon in the lead up where every week we'd sort of just talk about Steve's training in the lead up to Ironman Bustleton, amongst some other things like Steve's sex life a lot. And um, (laughs) with about three weeks to go before the race, we were discussing like how we both thought the race might play out. And and we thought you two would come out of the water together and, and then, I mean, what we sort of thought the most likely case was was you'd try and put in like a massive 20 to 30 minute effort at the very start of the ride and if Steve could could hold with you uh, after that he was a chance to win but if he couldn't he, he'd probably end up finishing second with, with you off the front and as it turned out that was exactly what you did and and Steve couldn't go with your attack. Um, my question is were you always going to do that or did you somehow hear me and Steve talk about that and what we thought was would happen and and you said well fuck it i'm gonna go and prove a point here and i'm gonna do this and and prove that even though you know i'm gonna do that you can't go with me <laughs> nah absolutely not uh, we came to that race for one reason it was for a kona slot um so basically until they announced it i think they announced it on like the wednesday or thursday we'd already arrived there um we were just gonna literally just yeah let steve do everything <laughs> And then hopefully run away, run away with the with the win there, or even oh, we would have probably been happy with second and get a kind of slot. So, um, but as soon as they announced that there was no kind of slot, it completely changed it for me. And Mitchell still, Mitchell still said uh, his right before the race was you know just like sit in and because we had no idea what shape I was in, so it was like just sit in and uh, yeah, you don't need to prove anything. It was the complete opposite of what you just said, so. <laughs> Um, don't need to prove anything, just go out there and, uh, yeah, get, get a good race under your belt basically. But, um, yeah, I guess when it, when it changed, I just, uh, I, I think my instinct, my racing instinct is just to, to go hard and I, I couldn't help myself. So, um, yeah, I went hard from the, from the first meter and, uh, yeah, I had decent legs. So I just, um, sort of kept going for the first 90 Ks and then I think, uh, it pretty much evened out there, which I was actually surprised. We, we pretty much held the gaps for like the last 100 to 90 to 100K, um, except for Burton, who was riding like an absolute machine. But um, Did you worry at, at any point that you'd gone? Did you did your legs feel like, oh, fuck, um, uh, that's coming back to bite me now, or were you fine the whole time? Uh, no, nah, I sort of – I mean, you always go through patches. Of course, you got it's it's a long day, so you're always going through different patches, and you you worried like, have I got enough nutrition? Have I have I taken enough water on or something like that? But yeah, for most of the part, I felt pretty comfortable, except for like that probably like the last I don't know 50k. Um, I think just the end of the season. Pretty standard, I guess. Yeah, pretty. I pretty it's pretty standard for me. Like I always sting up a little, little bit at the end there, and I think yeah, like end of season, you sort of just like haven't got those big like Kona K's in your legs. So, mm. um, yeah, I sort of just had to t- take it off the power a bit at the end so I could actually run decently. Yeah. And Steve, when when Max went at the start of the ride, were you sort of like, oh, shit, here we go, like knew this was going to happen and and did you try and go with him or can you tell me how it played out from your perspective? Oh, I reckon if we're in transition, I didn't, I didn't research how we meant to do those those bags. So I ran out with Maxie, but with my stupid bag with the wetsuit in it. And I'm like, and Maxie's not got one. I'm like, oh, fuck, where do I put this thing? And then I see all the other bags are run bags. So I ran back and just threw it over the fence. Um, and I asked Patrick Nielsen on the way, where do these go? And he goes, I don't know. But he didn't have one in his hand, so he knew more than me. <laughs> so I just threw it <laughs> over the fence. And then that lost me like, I don't know, 20 metres on Maxie. And I just don't think... Um, I think that that 20 meters, if I, it might have been a bit different if I had got on the bike exactly with him, because then you could get in his draft as he pushed 350 watts or whatever it was. But um, I went for one minute, I reckon, maybe a minute 30, um, maybe two minutes. Um, and I was looking down, and my average power was 350. 
And I thought, this is not in your plan. <laughs> so um, I thought he's going to keep going until until you're sitting there for a good five minutes behind him. So um, I just thought, all I thought of was the words of um, Reedy the night before. He goes, just back yourself from the first pedal stroke um, and stick to your plan. So, yeah, I just saw the gap going out massively and just said to myself, stay calm and push the numbers because I just thought if I push 270 right now, I'll push 270 right at the end as well. So I backed off and just did that. When you were behind Max there, when he got that that gap on you in transition, how far ahead of you have he was you up the road? Like, could you see him when you were sitting there putting three hundred and fifty watts down in the first few minutes, or like how far ahead on the actual road was he? Yeah, he was only um, thirty meters ahead when we got on the bike. So then he was real good in the little technical section, and then I was like, all right, it's only fifty meters, um, and I looked down and I'm like, it would probably take four hundred watts for like two minutes or maybe three minutes to get there. And I thought it's just not worth it. It would ruin my day. You know, you shouldn't, me personally, I'm, I'm not willing to take that risk um, in my third Ironman. I think Maxi's more experienced in Ironman and, and especially with what he did at the World Champs, he, they had to push that kind of power. And he's so he's like, in my mind, I thought he was thinking, I've done this before and I've recovered somehow, whereas I've never tested that. So I was like, this is higher than I would like to push in a 70.3 to get back onto someone or a pack. So um, I just thought, um, I just thought I could do this day alone and go a good pace. Um, so if Max does blow up, then cool. And if he doesn't, then he deserves the win because he's going to be alone all day. And Max, at the start there in that same position, did did that thought process go through your mind where you're like, this is just how I race now? Like you obviously, you at the start of the World Championships where you came fourth in probably the best race by an Australian in Ironman history, you put down an insane amount of power for the first 15, 20 minutes through town and to get away and you ended up one-on-one with Sam Laidlow out the front of the World Championships and, and everyone knows how that day played out for both of you guys. Was was that race the thing that that made you go and do this again at, at Bustleton? Like, was it was was that in your mind at all, or was Steve in your mind at all, or what exactly was going through your head? Yeah, not much. I don't think to be honest. Um, I think I've sort of always struggled throughout my like shorter distance career of getting that that transition between the swim and the bike. I always struggle with it throughout since I was a youngster. I just my heart rate is sits at like 200 and I get on the bike and I, I can't even push out like probably 250 watts and um yeah so coming to Ironman when you're when you're swimming and your your heart rate is pretty low you, you can jump on the bike and and as soon as you jump on there you feel incredible so um I mean I don't I don't know if it's <laughs> if I plan to do it I think it's sort of just like something that uh that just come that just comes to you naturally I think um yeah, I, I can't imagine I would ever thought racing an Ironman solo would be a, a good idea. <laughs> that was just, uh, yeah, that was just such a, such a long day on the bike. I, I hope to never, ever have to do that again. Um, because I was thinking after the race, I don't think I can think of any other men's professional race where the top three have completed the entire race pretty much solo. Um I I couldn't I, I really can't think of a race like that. So I think I think Steve would be the same. I, I don't know, but I just I just feel like um that was just felt like a a really fair really fair day um for everyone. And I think uh mm. yeah we all we all pretty much just yeah rode to our numbers I guess and um yeah whoever had <laughs> whoever had the better numbers on the day sort of won I think. And so Max. With our first episode that we did together where we went over the, the Ironman World Championships race, I reckon probably my my favourite moment from from the first year of how they trained was your race recap of the Ironman World Championships. I just sat back for 30 minutes while you told it and fuck, it was a, like it was just one of the best race stories I've ever heard. So can can you maybe give me the pleasure of doing that again but with the Bustleton race? Because it was an interesting race that not like no one watched it um, so this will like be the first time anyone actually gets an idea of, mm. of what went on during the race. Like, and, and like you said, it was a weird race because you swam together and, and then it was, see you later. Let's, um, let's catch up at the finish line for a couple of non-alcoholic beers, uh, on the podium. So can you, can you take me through what happened, mate? Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, the swim, it was, it was a pretty gloomy, gloomy day in Bustleton. Um, the winds were coming. I don't know what the word is. It's either offshore, no, onshore. Anyway, they were blowing over the land onto the ocean. So the, the water was actually quite, um, quite calm, but um, yeah, it was a blowy morning, quite, quite cold. Um, I don't think we saw the sun the entire day, to be honest. Um, but yeah, the swim was, it was quite actually a nice swim. It's really clear water over there in Boston. So you can easily see people's feet and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Pete, <laughs> Pete, uh, Jacobs, uh, let out the swim quite quick, actually. Um, I think he said we're swimming about one one eleven pace or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think he injured his hip, uh, the week or two before the race, um, and just couldn't get it under control. So he just decided to, to swim and ride. Um, but I think he said he wasn't going to swim too, too hard in the, in the swim, but I think he couldn't help himself. And, um, yeah, that was a lie. <laughs> yeah. He just swam really, he swam really hard. And, um, uh, I remember him coming out of the, the first lap there and then he's just hobbling up the beach. I saw a video, he'd hobble up the beach. Um, and I'm like, Oh, where's Pete? And then we could come and do an Australian exit. Um, and then back into the water and then maybe 200 meters on the second lap. I see Pete flying past me to the lead again. I'm like, shit, this, <laughs> this like swimming quick. Um, but yeah, it was actually a really quick swim. Um, then we, yeah, we hopped out on the bike and um, yeah, the winds, the winds were just a crosswind. It felt like a headwind the entire day, but just a crosswind from your, your right going out and on your left coming back. Um, so it was, it was I'm, yeah, I've never really racing conditions like that. And it does take it get out of you a fair bit um, energy-wise just because, you you know, you're trying to control your bars and you're trying to get your head down in, in the aero position. Um, I know my neck was definitely starting to sting it at the end there of the ride. Um, but, yeah, the ride, we sort of – I think I slowly got a gap on on Steve. I didn't even see um, Burton really <laughs> coming through until, until the maybe the – first lap um and he'd already taken a big chunk out i think um but i think by the end of the first lap we'd pretty much settled into where we came off the bike i think we i pretty much had four minutes on steve and i think steve finished the bike four minutes behind me so i think he rode that second lap pretty pretty similar um yeah i think burton came within about a minute 30 um on the last bit there um, but he, yeah, he rode a 405, which is, you know, those conditions is, is pretty quick. It's, it's the old Burton that everyone remembers. I think he had a, a bit of a rough year, but it was good to see him, um, finally have a good race. Um, but yeah, solo day for everyone. Um, yeah, even the, even the age groupers, I didn't see one person drafting. There was, there was zero packs. It was, it was probably one of I say there's a lot of firsts in this race, but I think it was probably the first time I've ever seen no packs um, in age group race as well. So it was a very fair race for everyone um, on the bike. Um, but yeah, coming coming into the run, uh, jumped off and I felt really good. Um, I would ha- I had no idea how I was going to feel. Um, we hadn't done too much specific work, so um, it was sort of a gamble. But um, yeah, felt really good coming onto the run. I probably ran that first lap a, a touch too hard just to, you know, <laughs> keep keep Steve um, at bay mentally. Um, but, yeah, I had a bit of a rough little middle bit. But, um, yeah, came home strong at the at the last lap. But I remember tripping over a couple of times. I think, I think my lead bike was getting a bit worried. She kept asking me, are you eating right? Are you eating right? Make sure you're eating right. Um, and I actually split my shoe my shoe from tripping on a gutter. I looked at it before. I was like, oh, that's 400 bucks. <laughs> 400 bucks down the tube. But um, yeah, no, I felt good. Um, and then I think it was about eight minutes to go. Um, well, I knew I'd had, I had the win here. You know, about 10K to go, I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got a, I've still got a, about a four minute gap here. So as long as I can get through 10K, Steve would have to run pretty, pretty quick. Um, over those last 10k to to get the win, so um, I heard that Ali Brownlee's record was was close, um, but I think Holly said it was a lap to go. She was like, "Oh, the record was near," and I I just said to her, "Oh, fuck that! 
I was like, the last thing you want to do is is chase a record in an Ironman. Um, but then my lead bike told me with 2K to go that it was like just under eight minutes to the record or something. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear. Um, but yeah, I really, I had to, I sort of had to go hard then. And um, yeah, I think actually sort of the only reason I'm super, still super sore today is that sprinting that last like kilometre of an Ironman is, um, yeah, it's, I hope to never do have to do that again. And then, of course, I missed out on the record anyway, so it was, <laughs> it didn't really mean anything. But, um, yeah, no, I'm still super happy with how it all went. Um, it almost felt more comfortable than any other sort of race I've done, I think, just because the fact we were all solo and there were no surges on the bike or anything like that. It, um, Yeah, your body, uh, I guess, burns through calories more efficiently when you're just doing stuff at your own pace. So, um yeah, I'm re- I'm happy happy to finish the year, even if there's no there's no kind of lot, I guess. And Steve, how did you see like the race in a very similar light, or or can you take us through the race from your perspective as well? Yeah, I see it all similar. I think Pete definitely did take that swim pretty. That so that I'm not saying that seventy point three swims have been shit this year, but um, I've just found it very easy in the seventy point three swims lately, and this was a lot harder for the whole time and it wasn't wasn't crazy hard it was still within um you know an upper aerobic level to then push good power on the bike but um it was definitely <laughs> harder to i had to stay focused whereas in the other races i've just been able to relax and sometimes go to the front sometimes stay where i was um, you feel in control whereas patrick was kind of dangling at times and i was last in the row of four and i thought i can't let patrick because you know then I will actually lose Pete if um if it opens up to a five meter gap then there's a chance that you get lost between the age groups um and you lose them so yeah the swim was actually harder than usual and I think it was long because we swam the same you know same time as last year but that felt like we were just warming up last year um in the Ironman swim we were kind of taking the piss but this year it was a lot harder and then the bike I can't really change anything that um, actually just said then it's it's exactly as he said and then the run um yeah it's good when you get off the off that 180k bike um and you're like oh i'm a broken man but then you start running and you're like oh different set of muscles i'm fine so that felt pretty good actually i just felt no pain really until the last 10k and at that point um my legs were just really sore but I've, i hadn't i didn't cramp once so that was i was stoked with that i just slowly got heavier and sore in the quads and um yeah uh, the gap at one point on the third lap i think got down to like dad was yelling it's three it's 315 or 310 um you're catching and at that point i still stopped or maybe that was the second lap but i stopped to get my special needs and it went back out to 337 or something and then it didn't get any closer again um after that i think the third lap um Maxi obviously just held the exact same pace as me. And then on the last lap, I was really battling. I was almost in tears um, in that last 3K. <laughs> so I started um, – it was the only point in the race where I felt really dehydrated. All of a sudden, um, you get that feeling where you're like, oh, another K, I will pass out, I reckon. Um, and it was I was only holding 405 pace, but I was – you know, it was like the quickest I could possibly go. I was – um. Yeah, really hurting to the point where people were like, well done, mate, and you only got 200 metres left. And I was crying that I had 200 metres left. So I was like moaning. It was like loud, girly noises coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I just was so happy to finish. I had blue lips and felt horrible. But um, that was the best effort I could have given, I reckon, um, with where I'm at. It was exactly um, the best I could probably do. Um, being solo anyway, if there was groups, and it was in Europe or whatever, I think we would have gone a lot quicker with a, you know, a lot more people. Um, but, but yeah, then it can be surgy as Max said, so it can go either way that like that. So either, but anyway, I'm really satisfied with it. I think um, uh, finally, I reckon I raced an Ironman because in, before this, um, I've probably just survived um, in my first two Ironmans. So this was good. I, I want to do more of it. And Steve, Max obviously came fourth at the Ironman World Championships this year and 
you know, he was um, – that that top four was a – you know, as good a top four as we've ever seen with, with Gustav Eden, Sam Laidlow, Christian Blumenfeld and, and Max. And and then between Max and fifth at the Ironman World Championships, there was pretty much 10 minutes. So Joe Skipper, who came who came fifth, he pretty much finished 10 minutes back from Maxi mm. um, in fourth. And, and on the weekend, you went out and pretty much did an individual time trial against Max, you know, who is the fourth best tri- like Ironman triathlete on the planet this year. I think there's definitely an argument that he's even better than that. And, and if that race had played out slightly different, he might have come second or third. You know, he's he's right in that, you know, top three, top four best Ironman athletes on the planet. And and you've only finished five minutes down on him at the end of that um, at the end of that race where fifth place was was over 10 minutes back on him. Did it give you an idea of how just how good Max is and 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 you know like the level that it, that it'll take to to be as good as him and and have the, that big result at the Ironman World Championships or because you're only five minutes back and and pretty competitive all day did it sort of give you hope that hey I am one of the best Ironman athletes on the planet as well and and I can mix it with these guys at at big World Championship level events. Yeah, I think I had confidence that it will happen one day, but. I hadn't had it confirmed, but also you never know with, with um, having done Kona and all that, maybe Maxi, if it was, if we did Bustles and when Kona was, and he was, just, um, you know, as conditioned or trained or um, mentally prepared, um, then maybe he would have gone a lot quicker in Busso. So I'm not going to read into it too much um, and get ahead of myself, but I do, I do take a lot of confidence from the fact that, um, uh, that's where I'm at in my third Ironman. And um, yeah, I, it just, basically it just confirms that if I do what I did the last four months and commit, you know, just about everything to this um, training and I really enjoy the Ironman training versus the racing, the racing sucks compared to the training. But um, I think, yeah, it, it just means that I'm going to go pretty well eventually. Hopefully just start doing what Maxie started doing on a world stage. I think I am, you know, a year or two behind Maxi in um, where, you know, he was up against Royal at the um, sunny coast. Um, and that was pretty cool to see a few years back um, just after COVID. Um, and they were flying that day and that was world-class. And I think that was me this year, you know, alongside Maxi. So it's, um, he's, you know, that one or two years ahead, but um, I just hope there's two of us now that can, go to world champs and um, do Aussies proud. And there was that period where we had, I don't know, five world championships in a row at Kona. So if me and Maxie can just trade for the next six years, then <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. And Max, do you sort of, um, do you see yourself the way I just described you as, hey, I am one of the best in the world. Like I, I genuinely believe in my mind, the the three big favorites or maybe the four big favorites for, for Kona next year are, are uh, Magnus Ditlev, no Sam. Sam no oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. We should talk about that too. <laughs> the big favourites for the Ironman World Championships next year, uh, yourself, Magnus Ditlev, Sam Laidlow and Jan Frodeno. And then the Norwegians, if if they do decide to race, but won't count them until we, we get clarity on that. Do you see yourself as that as well? Uh, well, it might be Nice, so you're going to have to shed a few kilos, I think. <laughs> but, uh, I mean... Yes, yes and no. I don't know. It's sort of just, um, I mean, we always knew we, um, up at Cairns, we, we had some really good numbers up there. Um, and I think even Curry was saying the same thing, like uh, the numbers on the Cairns bike and, and stuff like that was very comparable to, to Kona and other world championships. So we sort of had something to go off, I guess. Um, but yeah, you, ne- you never know until I think, World Champions is very different. Like I said, I think in the previous podcast, it's like um, you see guys who are in tip-top shape and they get to get to Kona and they just flop, you know. Um, I think uh, people put a lot of a lot of pressure on themselves um, in Kona, but I think we just, you know, attack it just like it's, like any other race. Uh, I think you start putting so much pressure on yourself at the massive World Championships. I think that's when you start... Yeah, you start overthinking it when in the end of the day, it really is just like, like for Basso example, that was just a, it was a good experience to just have like a, such a chilled, low pressure environment to, to punch out an Ironman and um, just gives you confidence that, uh, yeah, you can do, you can do different things, I guess, on different courses and um, you can change it up. Uh, 
on different on different race days against different people. So um, I think it's good to have a good a good set of, of skills first day or something like that. Um, because I think uh, yeah, the sport's changing, and I think uh, yeah, every race is just just pans out completely different. <laughs> like for for example, the Israel race, um, Langer having to run a a two thirty to get the win. Um, there's just so many different ways you can win these races now. Um, so I think if you have a good set of skills, and uh, I think Steve has has them all: good swimmer, good rider, good runner. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, he can just build on build on that in the future. Um, yeah, I think I think as long as you got a good set of skills, you, you you set yourself up for for a good career. And Steve sort of just mentioned the the training and the lead up to this race, and and questioned, you know, were you as fit as what you were for Kona? Um, and obviously me and Steve have been talking about his training every week over on the Patreon. So, yeah, I would like to hear about your your training in the lead-up, Maxi, and how much you did and, and what the plan that you and Mitchie, your coach and brother, uh, as you told us all about in the last podcast we did together, what you guys sort of came up with and how fit you were and, and, and how seriously you did take the lead into the, to Bustleton. Yeah, so after Kona, it was um, basically two weeks, <laughs> two weeks almost off. Um, yeah, I got a bit sick with, with COVID there and, and just, I guess, uh, the big mental break from from uh, from Kona. So um, two weeks basically off and then we had, a, I think it was about a week leading to, to Noosa. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, we got... <laughs> We had the Noosa debacle and, um, yeah, that, that stung a little bit. Um, but after Noosa, we had about about four weeks or three or four weeks of, of good training. We sort of just said, Mitchy said, like, if you feel like going longer, go longer. If you feel like going shorter, go shorter. So it, it was very much just by feel um, this build. Um, we got two weekends of specific work in the weekend before the race and the weekend before that. Um, just some nice, you know, nice longer rides um, and a nice longer race pace run. Um, but apart from that, it was, it was very much just a to feel sort of build. Um, the fitness came back super quick. Like it's always there, but you just got to get the conditioning back and then, and then you pretty much, I felt good after about a week, two weeks of, of a little build we had there. Um, and, uh, the week before we just did a little, little split, split brick. Um, and yeah, I felt, I felt pretty much close, close to cone level, just a bit below, but, um, I knew I'd, yeah, I'd be fresh considering I haven't done too much load. So we sort of just went off the, the freshness is key sort of, sort of one for Butho. Um, but yeah, then again, it sort of changed when they announced Kona. So, um we attacked it differently i guess but uh that was only that was only a couple of days out but um yeah we definitely went freshness off the freshness is key sort of method in the last build up and steve we obviously talked about your training a lot in the lead up which people can hear over on the patreon episodes but i guess what i want to ask here is is looking back at the the big block that you did that included winning Iron, Ironman seventy point three Melbourne and and all the training that was targeted completely towards um, towards Ironman Bustleton, including a little block away up at altitude. What do you reflect on that worked well, and and what do you reflect on that you would change in your in your next Ironman build? Um, I wouldn't really change much to be honest. Maybe um, no, because because if I yeah, I'll just explain it instead of thinking about it in my head. <laughs> I, um, we we kind of pulled back to be honest, and um, swimming we went real long, you know, like sixty times a hundred or four um, k continuous swims at zone two, and then we were just checking lactate and making sure it was you know um, I don't know one point five or less um, or less than two at least um, eventually. But yeah, it started off one fifteen pace was like after sunny coast, it was like high threes. And then it ended up at around, um, I think it was uh, 1.2 for 115 pace. Um, so it was really aerobic in the end to do that. What I imagined was around Ironman pace. You know, once you put a wetty on, you go a bit quicker. Um, so that was a big change. It was weird to get so much better at swimming, swimming, um, you know, hardly any hard sessions. So we just, 
got really strong in the water, I think, and um, really efficient at that kind of 70.3 or Ironman pace. Um, so as long as I didn't blow off at the start of the swim in any races in that period, then I was able to hold it without really working hard at all. And then on the bike, I was actually cooling it, especially on training camp. Um, Jack and Gus can vouch for this. It was like um, Jack was going to sit behind and we were going to do a few race simulations and I was calling them Max Newman injections. So I just thought Max doesn't want to start the run with me I don't think this is just if I was him and he actually really did want to beat me. And, and, you know, the idea actually in the end was that you just wanted your Kona slot. But if you were like, I want to desperately beat this guy, I don't want to let him beat me, then you probably wouldn't want to start the run next to me. You'd probably use your bike strength that you've got on me. So I just went, um, you know, when all my Ironman power and I knew exactly what my numbers were in the lactates and the heart rates and I'm like, really dialed in and it was super easy eventually to hold the 270 or whatever watts that I was trying. But I was just doing these two hour or two and a half hour time trials in these race simulations. And I was just injecting, you know, like, I don't know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes here and there with um, Maxi Newman injections <laughs> just to see <laughs> that I could do it um, at the start of the ride and then in the middle and then at the end and still um, bring the lactate back down or the heart rate back down and, and, and run well um, despite that effort. But um, when we started the bike ride, the Maxi Newman injection was a lot more than I expected. So I hadn't trained, <laughs> I hadn't trained for 350 injection. I'd trained for about 300 watts. <laughs> so, um, so I'm like, oh, I can clear 300 if we do that for a while, but I can't clear 350. That's, you know, that's my legs. They're going to pay for that later. I was like, all I was thinking was don't cramp as much as you did last year. So, so yeah, I guess the only thing I'll change next year when I do more Ironmans or if I'm at the top level I know that I'm going to have to be able to put up with, you know, a lot more than 300 watts at times. So um, that's what I'll change in the next block. And um, I probably wouldn't have changed it in this one because because of how I ra- raced it in the end. I'm pretty happy that I um, um, didn't go with Maxi because even if it's not a long enough period for me to have adapted enough to put up with that. I, if I only had three months of, of that, I would have ruined my training trying to do do it all too quickly so i'm happy i just raced my race um and, and yeah maybe when i get to a race with heaps of people in it um i will have prepared for you know higher power stuff and we talked about that afterwards me and Reedy. he said what's what's the weakness where where can we work next what needs work i said my run is absolutely fine obviously the swim's fine as well it's all the bike obviously so um i just need to i just need to, be able to push higher power I can push 270 watts all day and it's easy. But um, if you throw 350 at me 10 times, then I'm not going to run well. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I reckon that's my not a regret for this block, but I'll definitely be doing some harder cycling into the next few races. Hey, Max, at the start of that ride, can you take me inside what numbers you actually were pushing? Like how – We've sort of just talked about it. Like it just seemed like you rode three fifty watts for about thirty minutes. That's what it looked like. But what actually happened? How did how did that 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 first part of the ride, even that first ninety k of the ride, how did the numbers play out for you there? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was probably the first bit there. I think would have been. I'm a bit of a heavy guy, but I think for me, I would have been putting out about three sixty to three about three seventy five. Um, there are a couple of patches that are, I think I was around like the 380 sort of mark. Um, but I, that would have been literally for the first, <laughs> the first five, 10 minutes. And I got told that um, they're 500 meters behind. So I was like, oh, I've got a, got a bit of a gap here. So I sort of, um, yeah, popped it down to about, I don't know, three, maybe 310s, 315, something like that. Um, but yeah, not, nothing, nothing crazy. But um, it was sort of just more, just I guess once you got that gap, and then you don't want to. <laughs> no one, no one wants to ride that pace. So you just that's like Olympic distance pace. So um, I settled, I settled, definitely settled in. Um, and then after that, it just slowly, I slowly just decreased it for the rest of the ride. Um, 
But I'd be very interested to see. I don't know what power Burton puts out, but his first lap would have been, I think, uh, yeah, I think it would have been quite high. Eh? i got no idea what he would have put out, but he seemed to punch out a good – I think he got within maybe like two and a half minutes um, in the first lap, and he was just riding solo through everyone. So, um, yeah, it was, it was weird how they went so quick because the, the ride conditions felt super – Super tough, but um, yeah, Burton broke the the bike course record, so um, he must have been riding <laughs> riding incredibly well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what he would have been putting out. Do you know, Steve? No, I don't. But I know that mm. being a bigger guy, it would have been would have been incredible. He, um, uh, you know, the first turn around, you go you go on the the real shitty road on that left turn after the nice mm. first section. Um, and when we got, we got there and I think you already had like a minute on me. And when I look back and did the timer for everyone else, Burton was four and a half minutes, maybe five minutes. And then the next time we had a switch back, it was like two and a half minutes. I was like, yeah, shit, yeah. it's been 30 Ks and he's put like five minutes into me. Yeah. Yeah. It's his home. It's his home birthday. I mean, yeah. Credit to him that way. Yeah. He does really well at that race. Mm. And Maxie, you know how Steve sort of talked about this is what I need to improve on. What do you have that? And he was having that conversation with his coach Tim Reed. Do you have that same conversation with Mitchie, your coach? And do you guys see an area, or like, do you guys see something specifically in your game that it's like if I can just improve this, I think I can go to that next step and and win a world championships? Or is it not that simple with you? Have you, have you sort of got like a? a a more solid game at the moment where everything's pretty good and, and the race almost just needs to play out the way you need it to. Nah, no way. Yeah, we got a lot to improve. I think the running's the running's going to get a lot quicker next next year, even just within a year. Um, I think people are going to start pushing limits there. Um, like you see with Langer running at 2.30, um, people are running 2.30. Like, good stuff is race. Good stuff is racing Kona, 2.36 is... I still reckon that's one of the most crazy, <laughs> crazy runs I reckon you'll ever see in the history of triathlon. Um, but still, I reckon the run for me, we still got a lot of work to do. We've always been focused on running 240, exactly 240 for the last like three or so years. We haven't really progressed past that just for the fact that your injury injury rate goes a lot up trying to chase those extra three, two, three minutes. Um, and at the moment, I mean, would have been <laughs> a good tool to have in Kona, but I think at, at the moment we sort of haven't really needed to push harder than than the 240. Um, but going into next year with a all of all of this year, I've had like a good a good oh, good eight to ten months of training. So I think we really want to. We're not really going to have a break. I think we just really want to have a build onto that. To next year and just try and keep keep progressing sort of thing with with the run um i think i think the bike i still think people have always always over bike ironmans but i think the obviously the bike still need, needs a lot of work um but sitting sitting 12 meters um yeah i mean it's not it's it's quite easy sitting 12 meters behind someone so I mean, yeah. If, if you if you tactically if you do it tactically right, you don't really need to ride too hard at these big championship races. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely looking to to improve your running because I mean that's where that's how you win these races. Um, in the end of the day, and of course the swim. I think the swim level. So <laughs> I've got to improve everything, but I think the swim level in in the sport next year is going to go to another level as well. So I think if you're not swimming well, um, yeah, you're not. Even even in these big money PTO races, I think the swim is going to become so crucial that if you're not swimming well, you just you never you're never ever going to go top five in these races. The race is going to be up the road. It's, it's literally just going to be like an IQ race. So um, yeah, for me, I've got everything. I've got to improve everything. And do you have you and Mitchy talked about what you're specifically going to do with your run? to um to take it to that next level where 
hey, if you have to mm. go and run 235 to compete with Gustav or whoever it is at the Ironman World Championships next, next year, you're capable of it? Yeah, we have. I, it, I think for us, it's just um, doing a lot more specific, actual specific run sessions. Like at the moment, we sort of are just just so focused on running that like 238, 240-ish pace and training because um, I just don't believe you really need to do too crazy, too much crazy stuff to run to run these 240s. But I think going to that next level um, around, you know, those 235s, it's going to take, yeah, it's going to take like proper specific, specific sessions, specific builds, specific like um, progress throughout throughout the year um, to just really target like one race in the year where you, you, you go to and you're like, oh yeah, all right, we're in, we're in 235 shape here. Let's give it, let's give it a good nudge. Um, I don't think you're going to be running, running 235s multiple times a year. I think it's very much just for, just use it for one race. Um, so next year we, without any Kona, um, I'm not too sure where we'd use that, but if we were going to use it, um, that would be that would be the plan. Just to uh, to make a proper legit like like a progression plan over the months to to build yourself up to to two thirty five because it's a lot harder. I think it's a lot harder to think that just getting a couple of minutes when you're already at the two forty to get take it down to like I say a two thirty six even. Um, it takes yeah, it takes a lot. That little extra percentage when you're already at the top sort of thing is where yeah it's it's also very risky with um injuries and overtraining and all that stuff so um yeah getting that next percent is definitely going to be difficult but um yeah definitely possible hey everyone as i've mentioned in this episode steve mckenna and myself did an eight-week weekly podcast series where we chatted about the build-up to ironman bustledon they were 60 to 90 minute long episodes where we discussed steve's weekly training Training, training in general, like training philosophies, ideas, discussion, um, training camps, heat prep, altitude prep, diet, you know, sleep, everything. Um, yeah, literally we covered everything over those eight weeks that you could think of when it comes to training for a race. So if you want to hear them, then they're available on the How They Train Patreon. The link to sign up is in the description of this episode. It costs $2 Australian per week, which think is like one dollar american per week it's it's really not much um but it does support the show and and a hundred percent of that money that you that goes into the patreon goes directly back into keeping the show running um it also it does some awesome things so that money that two dollars a week it really does lead to a better experience because it gets awesome guests on and I've got some amazing announcements coming, but we have the biggest guests, probably the three biggest guests we've ever had on the show coming in in, in 20, January 2023. And like, I can't wait for you to hear them because they're, they're massive. Um, and if you think about na- massive names in the sport, you can probably guess who, who, who some of these three guests are. Uh, and that literally is only possible because of the Patreon support. So when I say it supports the show and that I give it straight back into the show, I don't really take any of it or do anything with it. I just want to use that money, that $2 per week that you choose to give to give you a better product and get you better guests and, and make how they train a, a better listening, listening experience for you all. Um, so yeah, if you do listen to how they train and think it's worth the $2 per week to you, then signing up on the Patreon is the way to give that support. And if you choose to, then seriously, thank you. You're, you're the best. Um, also, I will be starting a new series over on the Patreon. So it's not just to support it or not just because it leads to better guests or better better quality content. I also try to give you extra content for it. So um, starting next week, there's going to be a 10-week long Road 2 series building into a big race with another professional triathlete. Um I'll post the, the details about that. I'll make a bit of an announcement on that over on the Patreon as well because there's sort of like a news feed there, like Facebook style thing. So I'll post an update with who that professional is, what the race is and and maybe what some of those those uh, episodes are going to look like in the in the 10 weeks leading in. But it pre- it's pretty much just going to be getting on and talking about our weekly training leading into this race that you're doing. Me and that professional are going to do the race together and um, yeah, we're just going to come on and detail our weekly training and talk about talk about it and go deep on training over there. So yeah, if you love triathlon training content, the How They Train Patreon, it'll get you another 60 to 90 minutes of that every single week, year round. Um, We also say some stuff and talk about some stuff over on it that we sort of tiptoe around or don't bring up on the main episodes. It's like a more no holds barred, no filter style podcast. 
Um, Steve McKenna showed us that more than anyone on our eight-week lead into Ironman Busted and if you want to go back and listen. So, yep, the link to sign up is in the description of this episode um, and thank you so much for supporting the show and, yeah, head over there and enjoy it. And you've said a couple of times now, you've mentioned that, that the race isn't, the Ironman World Championships isn't going to be at Kona and just then it sort of sounded like what you're saying is that if the Ironman World Championships are at Kona, you you might not go. Is that is that what you're saying? I mean, I, it still interests me just because it it will be a, a world world class event. But I mean, in the end of the day, I did the sport because of because of Kona, and without Kona, it, for me personally, it just feels like another just like another race. Um, so, um, I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably still end up end up racing, but I don't think it would be like my A race for the year. I think there's a lot of other opportunities out there now um, where you can where you can focus uh, more time and attention and um, get more 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 rewards, so to say. Um, so yeah, look, I I definitely focus on it in 2024, but I don't think the World Championships will be an A race for me. But I'll still I'll still definitely probably race just because it's a, a world-class event but um yeah i don't think i'm gonna put all my eggs in that basket what's your thoughts on that steve oh uh, i'm a bit different because i don't know if i suit humidity yet so um i, don't, I also don't suit um descending down hills so, <laughs> so <laughs> i don't like either option <laughs> i'm not i'll take the slot because i think um i can easily learn to just you know go to nice and descent those particular you know once i know a descent i can do it very well but if i don't know it well enough um i'm gonna be shit because i just got into cycling too late if you pick up a bike at 23 then um and you've not ever trained for any bike skills um yeah you just i'm just not very good at it so um but yeah if i if i go and learn the nice course very very well for like a month leading in then yeah. it would be a really good opportunity for me. But whereas Kona, Max lives in that in in you know Brisbane and humidity, so he knows that he can perform there. I don't even know if I can yet. So um, I've done well in Asia a lot, um, but that's because the competition is so much lower. So maybe it's just the fittest wins, but I'm not actually going that fast. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll figure it out. Um, maybe I'll do more racing in Asia before I. It's not going to be in Kona next year anyway, so I don't have to worry just yet. Um, it would be a shame for me not to get to Kona. Um, but I'm not going – if it doesn't suit me, I'm not going to feel pressured by sponsors and, and everyone um, saying, oh, we want to see you win Kona. Uh, uh, there's going to be, as Max said, lots of championships eventually. That might mean just as much um, to me or to everyone else. And Kona hasn't got a special place in my heart like it does for Maxi just yet. Maybe because I got into this sport late, but I'm kind of already living the dream just being able to do this day to day. Um, because I wanted to be a runner as a kid and this is exactly the same for me because it's um swimming and biking is just as fun. I just never knew that as a kid. And did you guys talk to each other after Bustleton at all or did you talk to each other before the race or is there any conversations that you can take us inside? Oh nothing too interesting. <laughs> I think it was similar to this. It was more how you're going. Yeah, just general chit-chat. Yeah, I think um, we weren't going to give too much away to each other. Or like Maxie was happy to give it away, but then just do it anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't – we were never going to talk game plan because he had heard me on the podcast anyway probably and and I was, I was pretty sure what he could do. It wasn't – yeah. And also you just never know how Maxie's going to turn up after Kona. And you never know if I'm just going to flop. So because <laughs> <laughs> you haven't done enough Ironmans or whatever. So it was an unknown and it was, there was no point theorizing, but the conversations, um, Maxie, if you don't agree, um, tell me, but they were just um, catching up on nothing really. It was just, yeah, I don't know. We, I think we and Max have always got along. I just remember Steve not getting to the briefing because he's fine. <laughs> Vodafone or something didn't get reception. That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking rubbish, really. That was it. 
If there's one thing I've learned about Steve McKenna in my time doing podcasts with him, it's that if you expect him to be five minutes early to something, you're going to be very, very disappointed. Or even yeah. five minutes late. <laughs> even five minutes late would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, like today's podcast. Well, I thought I was like that, but then Steve, he trumps me. Eh? So I'm last to like wrap my bike, but Steve, even after me, and then Steve's last to pick up his bike. Yeah. I thought I was bad, but Steve, you're worse than me, mate. Right? Yeah. People say I don't care, but I'm like, no, I really do. I stress. <laughs> I stress everything, so everything takes so long. <laughs> hey, um, guys, a big question from me, right? So, Steve, you mentioned it before that the history of Australians going over to the Ironman World Championships and doing well, and, you know, there was a period where we won seven Ironman World Championships straight, and then we really fell off the, the face a little bit when the Germans sort of took over, uh, you know, 20 sort of 13 Luke McKenzie came second but then since that we we won on the Jan Fredino Sebastian Kinlay train and and now you know Jan dominated the sport and now we've got the Norwegians and you know the new wave of Europeans starting to dominate Ironman but you two guys are genuinely world class and I think I think even still outside of Australia a lot of triathlon fans don't know that you know like one of probably my most infuriating experiences watching the sport and being a fan of the sport this year was that it took the commentators about a hundred Ks at the Ironman world championship to even figure out who Max Newman was, which was bullshit. But it sort of speaks to the fact that down in Australia, particularly during those COVID years, you sort of got a bit hidden away because you, you couldn't get in on those big, big championship races that were still happening over in America as much. And, and you guys sort of, some of Australians, like long course triathletes, got left behind because they weren't going o- over and racing. But you two seem to be the two that have really came out and, and are genuinely world-class. And, you know, I got no doubt in my mind that Max is more than capable of winning the Ironman World Championships next year if he if he wants or definitely getting on the podium and that Steve I think you're more than capable of podium him at like a 70.3 World Championships if you wanted to next year and you know probably even coming top top 10 at the Ironman World Championships if you really wanted to like that's how good you two are do you guys ever consider like getting together and training and be- realizing like well it's really us two like we're the two guys who if anyone's going to do it right now in Australia it's us like does does part of that that cross your mind or are you sort of both just happy living in completely different parts of the country and and training you know largely by yourself and and just doing your own thing? Yeah, yeah, Steve. Actually, I think you messaged me the other, other week. See, so you saying something about that? Um, but yeah, I, I reckon there's definitely yeah, there's definitely something in. Um, at the moment, there seems to be like a lull in in sort of high-performance, long-distance triathlon. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the pathway to ITU at the moment is sort of, I don't know, kids, I just I just don't think kids are too motivated to, there's no there's no real big plays uh, like, you know, the Ali Brownleys and the, the Jan Fredinos that used to do the, the ITU stuff. When I when I was a kid, that's what I grew up, and it was like you know, like the the heroes for me. But there's, I just feel like there's not really like a, too much of a motivating factor for kids to think, oh yeah, you know, IT is what I want to do. At the moment, I think it's like on course is <laughs> like what these kids want to do, um, and I don't see any problem with like young kids doing it. Like you see, that all these endurance events now are, are won by like twenty one year olds. Um, so I don't think age is a factor anymore. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's definitely a chance for for something like that, like a high performance long course, um, something like that. But um, even if it's you know when you're overseas and you and you're between races, um, you know you come together for like four weeks. Because um, I know last year, uh, this year, I definitely. Would have, would have used that when I was overseas between a couple of races. And, you know, you're just by yourself uh, training in the middle of nowhere. Um, and you're like, oh, it'd be good to, <laughs> be good to have an Aussie, Aussie couple of Aussies here with you. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it would be beneficial, yeah, when you're, when you're overseas um, and you want to, you know, a familiar, a familiar training environment sort of thing where you can just um, get the work done um, between races and then come out to the race race it then you know head home um you're not overseas for like you know months and months and months and months on end um that's that's me personally but um yeah what about you steve um i well i i think we also agreed after the race that um when we're both home i I think it was you that i was talking to 
um, that we kind of, we always train alone. Um, and I think that means we're probably, me personally anyway, I do, I enjoy training alone when I'm at home because you get your, uh, well, I don't really have a routine, but it's, I'm so messy that I can't really commit to training with someone, but you're right, overseas, it would be awesome. Mate, I'm exactly the same. <laughs> I could never commit to a time. There's no way. No, people, you can't rely on me. I, I don't think, I, yeah. I, I assumed you were the same, but I really enjoy yeah. training alone when I'm at home because you just, you're set in your ways when you're at home. I'm going to this pool. I'm not, no, this is what the idea I had in my head. I'm not going to do your session in another pool that I don't want to go to. Um, stuff like that. Or I'm swimming in the lake because the sun's out. I'm cancelling whatever the other plans were today. So when I'm at home and I think, you know, when you're in Australia as well, you, you kind of just want to stick to your routines because you, you so badly want them back. But then you're, I agree just with the overseas stuff. Um, I'm, I'd be desperate for a training partner if, if um, schedules line up because mm-hmm. when you're over in, uh, I don't know where, if you're doing Finland or France or, um, you know, sorry, Nice or whatever, then you probably would benefit from that in that last push towards the world champs, having someone at every swim session that you take easy on the back half of the session or whatever. So, or, you know, on the, I don't know, just a little bit of competition that you see in some, like, you know, the Norwegians and the uh, Lionel and what's that guy's name that he's Colin Chardia. Um, you see them pushing each other in each session, but I don't think you can do it forever. I'd burn out. I think, mm-hmm. um, cause I'm not very competitive day to day. I, I'm competitive and I save it for race day. Um, but I love the fact that you can um, push as hard as you feel that day, which is usually pretty solid once you get going, but you don't want to go at someone else's pace at the start or end or whatever. And Steve, as a experienced podcast host, host at this point, <laughs> is there any, any questions that you have for Maxi or anything else you wanted to talk about, you know, about the race or just triathlon or training in general that we haven't covered? Um. Well, I don't know. I was gonna, I was gonna ask why you thought you needed to do road nats because you're doing road nats soon, aren't you? That's personal, mate. And <laughs> yeah, no, I've just, I've just been wanting to do it for years. So I was like, there's an yeah. opportunity now where I can do it. So I just, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I think. Yeah. Do you? Oh, here we go. Here's a good question. What do you do? Um, you've had off seasons in the past, and then I heard in your last podcast that you don't really, um you'll get injured probably if you have, you know, the, a full period of time off training. So mm. now you're probably going to, what are you training like 10 hours in your off season? Yeah. I think you just, um, it, it's still sort of, I still sort of have a break. I'm just scared of having a total break because every time I do it, I always get injured and then I have end up having like a sustained injury for like months on end. So I think I, I'm more just, use a break as like a, a fitness break you know just like wake up in the morning you still have a routine you know you go to the pool um you just jump on the bike and tap around with some group rides um yeah. and just do some nice evening runs with a holly and that so um yeah i think that's that work that works better for me than just having a like you're still getting that mental that mental break and you're still getting it you're giving your muscles and all that, yeah, all that sort of stuff, uh, a nice, a nice break. But you're not having a complete, like, just stop where your muscles just go. What's going yeah. on? And then they just, when you come back, you're just like, oh shit, I've just torn my, <laughs> torn something. So yeah, it probably is more the head anyway that needs the break. Um, generally, isn't it? But mm. um, in your off seasons, do you like? Because you know, there's all those questions for the Norwegians. Like, what do you do other than triathlon? For me. Mm. Um, I think lately I started struggling with that question. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm becoming a Norwegian. It's all I do. <laughs> um, but but uh, for me, I think it's now, um, it's probably just drinking with mates um, and enjoying, uh, I don't know, nights out or something. But And, and mm. maybe gardening is my, like what I would, but it's still yeah, that's yeah. just a lot more the hard work um, in my break. So, But what do you do? Is there some hobby that you have or another sport that you watch? Oh, I mean, I, I live, we live out on like 40 acres. Um, so I think last time we built a little, me and Holly just live on our parents' um, place out here and we just built a little like little house out the back. That was our last um, off-season project. But uh, yeah, it's usually just getting out and doing weird shit. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably more odd than people realize when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, like what? when you say weird shit. Yeah, I'm just doing like weird stuff. What are we talking? <laughs> oh, just, just odd. Just like digging holes, like the castle sort of shit. <laughs> It's like digging holes. I think. <laughs> Dale dug a hole. This works. Max dug I a think hole. I think when I was a youngster, I used to, um, yeah, my, my sister went to Europe for like an exchange. This is when I was like, probably like maybe year eight or nine. Anyway, she comes home and I built her like a, like a return, like um, shed. Like that was way out in the back of the paddock. And it, and it was just like four poles and concrete with like a tin tin roof and thing. I was like, yeah, man, you can go sleep out in the, <laughs> in the shed to stay away from us. Or it's just like weird, yeah, weird project for that. But I mean, I've grown out of that now, but, um, you'd be a farmer then, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, actually I would love it. I reckon. Yeah. yeah. It's That's just so it. funny. Picture and Steve, like, off season Friday night, a couple of cocktails, you know, dressed up nice. He's got his, he's got he's got his like Ralph Lauren polo on. He's heading out to a nightclub, and Max has just <laughs> finished a big day of digging a random hole in his paddock. <laughs> it's it, I love gardening, but I just dig the hole and put a plant in it. <laughs> yeah, Max, what, yeah, do you, yeah, what do you put in the holes, or is there just like uh, out the back of your and Holly's little place on the on the property? Is there just sort of like five or six big big holes out the back? <laughs> no, we actually we had to dig our septic tank because um, we we, ha- we have your own septic here, so your sewage goes in the septic tank, and that was a big old hole out here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, we last time I I bought like two hundred trees from a nursery, and we just planted like two hundred trees around the place. Um, it's good to know that other pros are working as hard as me in their off season because. I've landscaped the front and back the last two years and it's been fucked. My body was wrecked. So I can, like, you know, Reedy's like, oh, I'm so glad you had that break. I'm like, I'm not, I've, I've done like Ironman training essentially. I'm wrecked. Yeah, I always say it's so funny when you're like, you're so like in tune to, you know, swimming, riding, running. As soon as you like pick up a shovel and you, and you dig like a hole for five minutes, you pull up so sore, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blisters within five minutes. You realise how girly yeah, your hands yeah, yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there is there one particular weird thing you're looking forward to doing this off season, Maxi? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, we've got a couple of projects to do around here. There's always something to do around here. Um, everything everything seems to be broken. Everything with a motor at our place, like a tractor. The mowers, they all they all break down like every day. So it's just a constant, <laughs> a constant like just fixing fixing shit around here, I guess. Um, <laughs> but nothing, nothing too, nothing too weird. I don't think we um like I was talking to you off air. We we usually like to go um off an island up near Gladstone Northwest, which is like ninety k's off. Um, it's got like no phone reception or, or anything like that, and that's that's always a good. You know, a good switch off, complete switch off from the mm. from the world. Um, I really, I really like what you're doing, Steve. You know, don't take your phone with you. Um, yeah, just like it's really good to just completely switch off from from everything. I think your body, yeah, laps it up. Yeah, I couldn't sleep after Bustleton for two nights, um, and last night I finally yeah. slept. So it's my first night without a phone, um, and you just can't. I don't know. I don't know if I, if you're the same, but after races, I don't even think it is the caffeine. I think it's my mind doesn't. And I'm like, why am I even thinking about the race? Like it's done. It doesn't. Yeah. You're not. Why would I? I stress more after a race than before. <laughs> I'm like constantly thinking about the race. I'm like, who gives a shit? So, but I can't <laughs> at night time. I can't switch off. So, so yeah, I did two nights of like three hours sleep. Um, and now the phone's gone. Last night was great, but then I woke up with barley belly. So. <laughs> just fucking mess. I'm, I'll be back in maybe April next year at this rate. <laughs> you should do road dance, mate. You'll be like 45 kilos by the end of Barley Belly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll actually. <laughs> Steve, I, I hate that this isn't the training diaries, the, the Patreon show, because this is the point in the episode, like wrapping it up, finish it up, where 
we definitely talk about, you know, well, if you don't have your phone over in Bali, you've left it in Adelaide in your bedroom and, you know, you don't have your bike, what are you doing? And that would be a great yeah. conversation, but we have to keep it a little bit more mature on, on the main episodes. But if people do want to <laughs> yeah. hear what, what's the kind of thing Steve does like to get up to. There's a there's a fair bit of chat over on Patreon. <laughs> I can only guess. <laughs> or attempt to get up to and fail every time. <laughs> get up being the key word there, I guess. Just just begging. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Lauren thought that she was looking forward to, you know, spending a bit of time with you, but then three days of you being bored, not training, no phone, she's like, oh, yeah. it's a bit too much. Oh, if I'm not training, I'm back to the old Steve. I'm like begging like every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone knows, yes, we are talking about Steve's sex addic- addiction here. Um, oh, for you, I was talking about something else. <laughs> 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 yeah, you were just begging for cuddles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Maxie's got to go get a massage and, and we're going to bounce. Um, Steve, enjoy the rest of your trip in Bali, mate. Good good result. Well Cheers. done. It was so fun talking to you every week about the lead up to Bustle, mate. And honestly, can't thank you enough for your time there. And to, to watch you race, I don't know if you saw my thing over on Pro, Pro Try News where I had Maxie's you know, top five performances on the weekend. I thought Max was the, the best triathlete on, on the planet last weekend and I thought you were the third best just behind Vincent Louis who I thought was super impressive. So um, you boys both had fantastic races and, yeah, to see you do that, Steve, and, you know, really like not many people in the world can put Maxi um, under that much pressure. You know, it might not have felt like it was it was that close but there's not many people in the world who can who can do that mate so you should be really proud and max you know you know what i've been saying about you mate like you are seriously seriously one of the best triathletes on the planet and um i don't know i I would i would in a way i'd sort of hate to not see you give the world champs a crack next year because even though it's in nice your bike is just so strong your bike handling's elite i think that run suits you i think i just mate i think I think it's you and Laidlow and Ditliv who can really challenge Jan and, and the Norwegians next year, and I'd fucking love to see you do it. And if it's not at the World Championships, I'd love to see you do it at another big race like Roth or something because, mate, you are seriously one of the best Ironman athletes on the planet. So thanks for thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat to, to both of you boys. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, hope you enjoy your off-seasons and we'll, we'll chat again in the new year at some stage. Yeah, thanks for having us on, mate. Enjoy your holiday, Steve. <laughs> see you, boys. Go dig some holes, Maxie. <laughs> 